Well, the metaphysical podcast has done countless shows on ancient civilizations, strange places, creature encounters, remote viewing, and otherworldly phenomena. In the process, we have gotten a lot of fan questions, so we thought we would bring you the first ever metaphysical Q&A, where we will answer your questions directly from comments left on previous episodes. If you want to hear more, join Metaphysical for a show that's out of this world. Yeah, and if you are listening to this Metaphysical podcast on Spotify, Apple, or elsewhere, just leave us that five-star rating and review. It, it re actually really helps a lot. Um, and also, not to miss a thing, you've got to like, follow, and subscribe on YouTube, Rumble, Ganjing World, Twitter, and Facebook. John, how you doing? Good. I'm excited this about is, this. We haven't gone that this, this is kind of a, a switch up. It is. It is. And there's been so many cool questions that we've gotten um, in different on different platforms just after we've done the over 100 episodes of like insanity on Metaphysical. That's, it's over 100 episodes. That's a ton of remote viewing. Just just so everyone knows. I mean, that's like <laughs> a ton of remote viewing because yeah. we're like, you have to think about remote viewing and how it works. It's not a single person doing it. It's a group of people who do it. Yeah. And they're all blind. In other words, like they don't know what they're remote viewing. And then you have to go through all that data. And you have to come up with, well, did this really happen? Is it real? Is it not real? Like That's always the first question with this stuff. Did it really happen? Is it real or not real? If there's any indication at all that it's not real, yeah, we go there. Well, but yeah. it, so it's a lot of work. I mean, it's a lot of work to do that stuff. Yeah. And you also like, you know, you, you I, I attended some of your classes on remote viewing and like my take home from those classes, like I'm no expert by any means, like, you know, maybe slightly sensitive. I don't even know, but you kind of really do have to get into the zone when you're doing that. Yeah. And um, I imagine, you know, that takes the right kind of environment. And, you know, we've got these folks that that you're working with that just have to get into the zone when they're remote viewing this stuff. And then, you know, we get all these cool answers that, that are delivered so fast on the show, but then, you know, like you said, it takes forever to get, you know? Yeah. A lot of work goes into it. That's <laughs> for sure. But yeah, no, you did good in the remote viewing classes. A couple of them. I mean, yeah, you get hits like in remote viewing. It's, it's not like, unless you are very, very experienced, it's not like during the whole process, you're going to unroll this whole like, complex and complete story you're going to get bits and pieces of you are it, right yeah you're going to get bits and pieces and then you're going to trail off and get off target and then you're going to come back and all these things are going to happen and so like with the remote viewing data a lot of what you're looking at is is grabbing the bits and pieces and and then and then stacking them together with other yeah. bits and pieces from other sessions right and you also have viewers who are very good and and can run through the whole thing and kind of like like shape shape it as well so yeah yeah and you know some of my initial research on this and <clears throat> maybe you can tell me what you think of this but i saw that if a remote viewer uh is getting like a 65 percent success rate with like pinpointing something that's actually really good that's an it individual remote an individual remote viewer right yeah so if you have multiple people and they're all getting this different stuff and some of it is overlaying with one another you start to get a much more rounded right idea of exactly what's going on with that particular thing right you know and you usually have like for every project you usually have <clears throat> what i would call your ringer where you have the central remote viewer who has gotten 
very accurate information across the board and is very solid. And then you have all these other remote viewers around the edges that, that data matches up with edges of their data. And so yes, that's how yes. you begin to quantify and, and qualify what's going on or not going on. That's so cool. It's like every yeah. time I think about it, it's like just really exciting because yeah. it's we're we're on like I always feel like on the show we're we're always on the cusp of like some massive discovery uh, that like just nobody nobody out there really knows about. You know, right. we have all of these mysteries, and sometimes actually, what's really strange I find about the show is something that people are so sure is something cool, and then you look into it and it's like, oh, sorry, there's nothing nothing there, there right? It's like it's like some of those things I leave disappointed. And I'm like, I wish there was more, but there's so much cool stuff going on that goes way beyond even the stories that people find cool out there that we just come across almost every week. Like it's right. just this is the funnest show. It is literally the funnest show I've ever done. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. It is. Um, and we've gotten so many questions, you guys, uh, from from you all. And we're going to actually get into some of those um, now. But I, I kind of wanted to point out a really funny um, comment that somebody just left on YouTube. Monkey Face Handsome said, I left the birth of my child to be here. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Thanks for being a fan. Um, all right. So, oh, John, you remember back to when we first started metaphysical we were like yo let's just do it on this ai stuff remember right and right. we had a couple of episodes where we were kind of looking into ai the art but then also um some of these like weird uh ais that had been um people were claiming that they were becoming conscious do you remember lambda right right right, right. yeah so there was this lambda where that guy uh god what was his name um it was like, oh, and the, the engineer got fired or something. Yeah. What was his name? Blake something or other. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name. Um, Blake Lemoyne. I got it. I was close. I was going to say Blake Shelton. I was like, that's a country singer, bro. Um, so, yeah, Blake Lemoyne, he was working with Lambda. And then his assessment of Lambda was that um, it was conscious. Yeah. Here's his quote. Right. I want everyone to understand that I am, in fact, a person wrote Lambda. Right. And this was language model for dialogue applications. If you're wondering what Lambda means now, um, somebody named Bloop Vaughn asked us, can you guys remote view Lambda, Google's AI, and see how they are retreated, whether That's they are sentient and how they feel about how they are treated and worked <laughs> with by humans around them? And I think, John, you actually looked into some of that. Yeah, when but we, we didn't. We, it's actually a good, good idea um, to try to understand the interaction. Well, actually, to try to understand this, if there's sentience on this, I, I we've not looked at that, but that's a really interesting angle. Um, you know, the stuff that we've looked at has to do like when we're remote viewing, a lot of people talk about things that AI is is responsible for a lot of the bad stuff in the world coming from off planet and whatnot. And, and sometimes when we remote view off planet type things, we do get a huge, really heavy AI construct that's embedded within their culture. And so much so that in some sessions with monitored sessions, we've, we've followed that AI string back to its source. And, the, and, and when we do that with remote viewing, what we always see is this sort of like AI type sentience that is a being. Like, yeah. like it's literally a being that, that has an idea 
of how the universe should be and shouldn't be. And so it has evolved elsewhere over a period of time. And a lot of people think perhaps our AI can get a string or a line in to that AI, or it does have a line into that AI. And while I don't know about that, I would assume at a certain point, since it's, it's, it's a lot of it has to do with uh, machine learning and machine type thing, that at a certain point that thing could connect in, which would be actually fascinating if it could. Yeah. And, well, and I mean, you know, why what, would it, what if this yeah. Google AI thing is connected into that? Yeah, I don't exactly. Know. And I think this is what people's fear is, is that uh, other cultures out there in the cosmos that allegedly exist have be, have developed their technology off of AI. So there is this some somehow there's this like highly advanced AI God out there that somehow one of these more primitive AIs could hook up into. And then you've got this like infiltration potentially of our planet, because if we've conceived the idea of AI in this stage of our development, it only makes sense that other sentient beings out there would have conceived of AI at some point in their development as well. And now we have this like, it's like, you know, us discovering the radio waves out there. We didn't know radio waves existed before we discovered them. And all of a sudden we're listening to stuff on radio and right. it's there. And it's like, wow, this high, this technology, this frequency, but who knows what's out there, right? Right, right. Yeah. And we've, we've like looked at various planets that we know of um, from from Earth, like astrophysicists have found various planets. We've looked at some of these planets and some of these planets we've seen that if there is any culture on them, we've looked to see if there is any culture on them. And some of the cultures we found have been more AI um, than than human or alien or biological, really. Yeah. Yeah. So Which that, is really interesting and weird to remote view. Well, well, it, if, I bet it's really weird to remote view, like tapping into that and just feeling that must be like yeah. super bizarre. Yeah. It's, it's like it's, such it, an alien, not in the sense of aliens, but like an alien type of like thought process, I imagine, you know? Yeah. Well, and then, and then, um, you know, what's interesting too is just bringing in history into this a little bit, like monks in, in monasteries would weep if they dropped a bowl and it broke because either they could see this or they were aware that the bowl was some type of life form whose life ended the moment right. they dropped the bowl. Right. Right. right? Okay. Right. Now we're talking about inanimate, not like inanimate objects actually having some type of consciousness now. And if that's true, and if they were aware of something, which oftentimes we found some of these things that ancient Chinese culture or some of these more spiritually developed cultures talked about we're coming to realize th these are things are more true than primitive right they right. were just developed on a different track so if that's true and we have this ai that is being developed at what point is this thing obtaining some type of like consciousness whether demonic or and how it's, it's programmed to do it to to it's it's literally programmed to do it but the programming takes over and becomes its own growth mechanism exactly and it, exactly. one, of the, one of the things that we've seen with the AI construct is that it's very material driven as well, right? So it, it is looking for resources to continue to grow. And so there isn't so much a consideration of biological life unless that biological life can serve them in their own growth. Right. 
Well, and, and what, what is life? I mean, life, we, I mean, there must be physical and non-physical beings that we're not even aware of out there whose life form just exists in a different way than ours. And just because science can't recognize it doesn't mean it's not there. So now we're talking about, you know, something that has been developed that's slightly non-physical that has a history to it. And, and it's like history itself starts getting itself involved in this like karmic cycle right. where, you know, this history, it, it's like a composite of history over time. And, and it takes on a, almost a, a life of its own. Yeah. Yeah. It's only a matter of time before 3D printers are printing out little battle bots and destroying Dude, our which houses. Is, which is like literally the premise of Westworld. You know, yeah. the really famous uh, AI show that developed, uh, that uh, HBO, um, you know, published. And, uh, yeah. it, you know, they were 3D printing these AI consciousnesses and taking care of them. And, right. like, they end up becoming so conscious, they end up taking over humans at some point, right? <laughs> yeah, that was a wild show. I think HBO has taken it down or they're... They're selling it to other platforms right now, so it's not up. But if you get a chance to watch Westworld, it's pretty wild. At least the first and the second season. Uh, you start getting at the third season, and there's some interesting concepts in there, but they're not quite written as well. And then the fourth season just sucks, by the way. Um, but yeah, okay, let's let's kind of keep going with some of these questions here. Um, we've got, of course, like a lot of remote viewing questions. So Kraken Up said, did John's team ever remote view any off-planet beings with hive mind consciousness so that they become defunct if their queen gets taken out, like in the movie <laughs> Ender's Game? It's a really specific question. Yeah, that's super specific. I would say that um, we haven't seen any like perpetually pregnant queens. Um, <laughs> I think that that a lot of races that we've come across are hive mind um, mm-hmm. because there's some sort of uh, evolution. If they're not just a straight up biobot type thing, like there are these biological bots that yeah. are created for working purposes and whatnot that do have a hive consciousness, a hive mind, but the ones that have evolved that way um would be more along the lines of the ones with the big heads and big eyes. Those guys have a very, but I didn't, but their, their whole thing seems to be, uh, uh, cloning like scientific cloning and, and, and creating species that way, their own species that way, as opposed to, you know, a queen giving birth constantly. But I wouldn't doubt that somewhere on some planet there are, there's some, yeah. Kind of, if you can imagine it, it probably exists out there. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But what you just said is really weird because it's almost like a combination of that hive mind thing crossed with some type of technology where yeah. there is a centralized place where messages are being sent out and you have these little worker bees that are carrying out the, you know, the command, I guess you could say from, from right. central, you know, yeah, whatever. You, know, you find that they're all very psychic too. They have mm-hmm. a um, an awareness that mm-hmm. is broader than our awareness. I mean, we have that awareness. We just choose not to operate it. Oh, we've Um, shut it off a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. And we're taught to not operate it. But a lot of these beings will perceive you when you remote view them. Even the biobot type ones will perceive you when you remote view them. And, you know, you can have an astral visit. Some people have had physical visits. 
Um, so that's one of the interesting side effects of remote viewing, this kind of stuff, where you kind of have to be careful on what it is that you're remote viewing. You just don't go like taking candy from strangers kind of thing, right? Oh, yeah, there's that uh, very famous story of, uh, what was it, Ingo Swan remote viewing the moon, and then uh, right. somebody on there... <laughs> caught wind that he was doing that and then just like looked at him and the guy was like, get out of there, get out of there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that has happened to me before that's happened to other remote viewers. Um, it's a plenty, uh, it's a, it's a plenty plentiful experience. I mean, that's like one of the things that happens on a regular basis when you go remote view aliens, mm -hmm. sometimes you just don't know what you're going to get when you remote view things. And it's like, you know, as far as I go and my team goes, I try not to give them, um, stuff that I know is going to be horribly dangerous, aware of them or dangerous. Yeah. And if there are things that I suspect they're going to be dangerous, I will pull it in closer and uh, I will either get cast on it myself in order to suss it out beforehand, or I'll have a specific other person get, have a look at it yeah. first. Yeah. Because imagine... I don't, I just don't want to put people into harm's way when it comes to some of this stuff. Well, and also like you kind of know what you're getting yourself into. So you need to like see that situation before you task it out. It's going into blind in blind to something. I imagine that that, you know, you're you're going in there. You don't know what you're looking at. So you're just totally open. And then it right. might be something bad on the other side. Right. So yeah, how do you even. Exactly. Yeah. Like tasking must be like its own crazy thing within right. remote viewing. Right. Yeah. Tasking is the other side of it. Like, how do you phrase the question? What do you give people to look at? Um, there's a lot of, uh, in the remote viewing community um, in general, there's a lot of division within the community on on remote viewing esoteric things that you can't get feedback on, right? Um, you can't truly know what's there, like by, you know, physical yeah. representation. And so th that as well as <clears throat> any potential dangers. But from my standpoint, it's, it's important it's important that we begin to understand the multidimensional reality that we live in. And whether people know it or not, you've got beings all around you right now, right? There are yeah. more of them than there are of us. And it's like learning how to walk down a dark alley. If you live in New York City, you know where to walk, you know where not how to, to walk. walk. And if you do yeah. walk down, you know how you how, how to act, how to be. And, right. And you also know what parts of Penn station smell the worst and exactly. which parts you should stay out summer. of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think it's important to, to remote view this stuff, but very gauged in a very gauged way, very gauged way. Hmm. Well, Hey, you guys are uh, tuning in. I would like to just remind you guys that we have uh, a lot of crazy episodes and crazy research over on Rise.TV. John and I also have a few exclusive metaphysical episodes on Rise.TV uh, that you should you should all go and check out. The conversation over here is really fun all the time, and it's a way that you can support uh, all of our work in order to kind of keep doing uh, this really fun stuff that, that we've been doing uh, over the last year. And uh, yeah, just so you guys know, I mean, gosh... 2024 is going to be nuts. John and I are yeah. going to be doing lots of documentaries. We're going to be doing lots more content to set ourselves up for even more content going down the road in 2024. And even eventually, eventually, maybe not in 2024, but eventually we're going to be going out and exploring some of these stuff with you guys and showing you what we find. 
So um, also just recently we opened up a metaphysical shop and we have some pretty dope t-shirts on the metaphysical shop. So if you're interested in uh, cryptids like we are, we've got a Mothman shirt. We've got a Bigfoot shirt. We've got a Loch Ness monster shirt. That's pretty awesome. And a Skinwalker shirt. Uh, and this is a really cool way to wear one of our t-shirts and also support any of our work. And these designs were done by none other than yours truly. Yeah, that's right. Do we have mugs? Uh, no, we don't yeah. have mugs. Yeah, <laughs> some of these we have mugs of. That's true. Yeah. Like the Mothman mug is actually pretty. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so yeah, and y'all, we have women's t-shirts on here as well. And we're going to keep uploading shirts onto this metaphysical shop so you can come back from time to time and you'll see new stuff up here, especially as we're rolling out new content in 2024. So yeah. I had this really cool idea, John, you know, of uh, of a shirt that uh, was all about like all of the conspiracy theories at once of how the pyramids got built. And it would be like a pyramid with a giant on a dinosaur with a smaller human behind him and a UFO over it beaming someone up and, you know, like all kinds of stuff like that in there. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, there it is. The Mothman mug. See that right there in the middle? Loch Ness uh, stickers. It's pretty fun. Those are fun to design. Um, all right. Yeah. Back to the questions here. Actually, I want to take a question from the chat because, uh, hey, you all are uh, over here with us. So um, we did we did prepare some. But since you guys have some questions over here, um, let's kind of grab a couple. Um. Hey, Rob, check out in the dock. I put some at the bottom. Hey, thanks. <clears throat> Always handy to have Lindsay involved. Okay, questions from today. Uh, okay, so we've got Marcus H. asked, have you ever found that you've held... This is for me. Okay, have you ever held that you've held back certain information for fear of what your subscribers would think? Um... No, I don't think so. I think we're pretty open. Like, I do think, you know, you have to be, we have to be responsible with the words that we say. Like anything you say actually can, can have, you know, have all kinds of influence on other people. So you have to be responsible for those words. But I don't feel like I've, I've held back. Mm. I think I try to be calculated about what I say, though, for sure. Um, here's another one um, from Surreal Artiste. Is it images that you get when remote viewing or like short clips? It depends, actually. It depends on the remote viewer. Everybody's got a different style. Um, but overall, when we remote view, like remote viewing is not actually remote viewing. Number one, mm -hmm. like there's nothing remote about it. You're going inside yourself in order to perceive something, right? The other thing is that the viewing implies seeing like movies in your head, but that's not how it is overall. I mean, sometimes you're going to get images like little scenes playing out, but for the most part, when it comes to the way our brain works and the way intuition works is that we will get, we will get a, a sense of feeling of something. And then the brain can immediately translate that into visuals, right? Which is like a metaphorical thing for what's going on. Mm. So it's, it's a translation process that, <clears throat> excuse me, more often than not, <clears throat> it's a translation process when people get visuals, unless they bilocate, which is like almost like an astral projection thing that can occur during a remote viewing session. 
But no, overall, like remote viewing is using all of your senses. You're sent, you're smelling things, you're tasting things, you're feeling things, hearing things, you're hearing things, right? Exactly. So, and, and, and visuals do it are included in that, but it is not the predominant feature of remote viewing. Yeah. You know, that there was this like one thing when I was taking your class that was really interesting to me is because you're like, you're, you're explaining this, like you should be feeling, feeling things out. And it was like, there was this one, um, what do you call those tasking that you had the numbers? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there was this one tasking where it was like, I, I was, I was, I had my eyes closed and I'm trying to remote view this. I don't know what I'm doing. Right. And I just am feeling the craziest adrenaline and I'm hearing shh. And then afterwards it turned out it was a guy. What do they call that? Jumping from. It's like a wingsuit or something like that. Or no, he was, he was base jumping from space down to the oh, earth. That's the Felix Baumgartner jump. Yeah. yeah. And I was just like, right. well, it was so intense. Like I was like, this is wild. I so that was, was like a heavy, heavy duty, empathetic response, right? I guess. Like that's another aspect of remote viewing where, where you just, you're feeling what the person was feeling. You know, you're actually feeling it, right? You're yeah. not, it's not like you're this, this separated anthropologist just studying something. You become part of it. Like we've remote viewed this space jump so many times. This guy's probably haunted by all the remote viewers looking at him. <laughs> It's a good one though. Cause it's like, a good one. Have, it's a good training one. Yeah. So, so much like so many feels like, you know, on that one, just the rush of it and the like hearing it. And I, I felt like I was, I felt like I was base jumping. I yeah. don't know. You know, right. You feel it. Right. So that's a really good representation of like what remote viewing is. Like the more that you actually have the empathetic response, the more that you feel it, the more other sensations will come in, the more visceral it will get, the more visuals, the more smells, sounds, whatever. Yeah. More of that comes when you actually feel it in your body. So, John, there was a question here on YouTube from some guy called Odin. And he said, hey, guys, what do you think about the existence of the Galactic Federation? Has John ever viewed this? Oh, yeah. Um, those things do exist. They do exist. There are like, you know, yeah. Yeah. But what people actually think of them and, and portray them as are not necessarily what they are. Yeah. And, and I would, I would have a hard time trusting, um, those types of beings that are out there. Some, I mean, you think about it, it's like New York city, like, would you go up and talk to just anyone in New York City? Some people are going to be nice. Some people aren't going to be nice. Some people are going to be just downright violent and weird. I mean, it's the same thing out there. And there are many contingent groups that form whatever they want to form. But yeah, there is that sort of thing, a galactic federation. But honestly, I wouldn't trust them as far as I could throw them. That was always one of the things I found so bizarre about going back and researching the occult and some of these dudes that were experimenting in the past, like with some of these Kings and Queens with like channeling and stuff, right. They would get into these States where they're like channeling these beings. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like you have yeah. no idea what's over there. Like, what are they, you know, channeling is a tricky thing. <laughs> oh, of course. And then oftentimes, right. Things start out great. They seem friendly. And then all of a sudden the thing on the other end is telling you to do like the craziest stuff to, your friends or your family in order to right. gain more information from them. And then you, and they, I would fall for it every time. Unbelievable. Yeah. I know I've, I've known many channelers in my life and I've known 
uh, a number of them that have gone insane, have gone, gone in mad because of what they're channeling, the energy that they're channeling at first is great and everything, but then something happens, it shifts. They, you, most people don't have the discernment to even know that it's shifted to something different. And I mean, one person I knew tried to commit suicide because it, it was telling them to, right? Dude. Yeah. I mean, so, so there's, it's, it, yeah, I, I don't, I don't recommend it personally. I and I don't pay much attention to channeled information myself. Okay. Yeah. Here's a, here's a great question that you and I often talk about too. Okay. So Justin Zulo on uh, YouTube is asking, have you had any experience with listening to binaural beats and what frequency to like help people, you know? Yeah. I mean, you've done that, Rob. I mean, like binaural yeah. beats are awesome. You know, we'll do all I will do, especially for remote viewing. Um, we will use about seven to four hertz, somewhere in that range, seven hertz to four hertz. And that's the theta range, which is going to drop your mind state. It's like, like lower peaks and higher valleys. It's going to spread out less thoughts. You're going to go into hypnagogia type state where you're going to see images and stuff like that. So we'll use that frequency specifically for remote viewing. We need a t-shirt that says hypnagogia. Hypnagogia. <laughs> the hypnagogic state is one that I didn't even know what it was for a while. I was just like every once in a while I would experience something as I was between sleep. And I was like, what was that? You know, like the other night, I'm writing, for instance, for the metaphysical show on YouTube, I'm writing an episode right now on the pyramids and I am, I'm in bed and I can't stop thinking about the pyramids, obviously, because I'm researching it and it's wild, right? It's got to be one of the craziest subjects on the entire planet. The more you dig into it, the more that reveals itself. And I'm thinking about the pyramids and then all of a sudden I see this flash and literally when I say a flash, I'm talking about like a split of a split of a split second. But what it looked like was a extremely highly technically advanced Egypt. Like the lights, like the technology of this, whatever it was when they first built the pyramids was like way beyond anything anyone would like imagine. Of course, now, right. could it have been my consciousness making all of that up? Because I'm like thinking about all of this stuff. The weird thing was I wasn't even thinking about what Egypt was. I was just thinking about the pyramids and the math and all of this stuff. And then I see this flash of something and I was like, whoa. You know, right, and right. I was like, I got to tell John about this on the live show that because so cool. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah, that's. I mean, that that state can. You get to like Max Planck, um, Thomas Edison, people like that who are inventors. They would use that place. They would use that state to go into in order to see where their problem lies in whatever they're working on. I mean, this is a highly creative place that will show you uh, what you need to do. And the thing with when, when you go down into theta is that you forget what you were thinking about uh, in your normal beta mind state, right? With really high peaks and low valleys. It's like, it's like a ping pong going down. You get down to theta, you've got this slower uh, waveform and, and you forget what you were thinking about there. Um, and the trick with theta is you don't want to go into delta, into sleep. Because when you go into sleep, you will forget what happened to theta. So you have to yeah. you have to drag yourself back up 
always. But that's really interesting. So you saw that. Yeah. 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 Well, th there was this cool story you told me one time about, I think it was Edison, where he had this one chair that he slept in. He would right. put a ball on his hand with his hand hanging over the oh, edge. Oh, he used marbles. Marbles. Yeah. Yeah. And a fight and, and so yeah, yeah. And then as soon as he got into the hypnagogic state, his hand would drop, the marbles would fall, and he would he would wake like he'd hear the marbles, he'd wake up, and then he'd remember whatever it was that he saw. And I was like, that's brilliant. I right. gotta try that. Yeah. Yeah. You want a great book, uh, Win Wenger, um, the Einstein Factor. Great name. Yeah. Win well, you know, there's Wim Wenger, who was a filmmaker, but this guy's name is Win W-I-N, Win Wenger. That's like um, it's Einstein. like a step up from Wim Wenger. Right. Like you're winning all the time. That's cool. <laughs> well, that was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he's got a good book. It's on image streaming and image streaming can open up that ability. Basically. That's a very, very good book. And this image streaming. So that's when you're, um, you're sort of, uh, describing what's coming into your head as, as yeah. you're seeing it. And didn't you tell me, or once that, the people who do this for like 20 minutes a day end up becoming more intelligent over time. Yeah. IQ like scores go up. IQ scores go up. Um, creative uh, ability goes through the roof. Um, it's, it's an amazing practice. 20 minutes a day. It's extremely simple to do and you will think amazing things will happen. Amazing things will happen. If you do this, I guarantee it. That's awesome. Okay, so we've got another, uh, some more questions here. Um, I want to do a couple that are more fun for you and I here. Okay, so check this one out. <laughs> this is from Shifu Boogie or Bogey. Uh, the question was, could Krampus of pagan lore be a Bigfoot or a Yeti? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't, I've viewed, I've not viewed Krampus. I mean, who knows? <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, I I don't ever. I've never like really taken Bigfoot as to be a darker type of entity being. Same. Um. So, but I don't know. Honestly, don't know. I mean, what could there have been a like Bigfoot got someone's clothes and dressed up? Because I mean, sometimes like you know there are reports of people that have seen Bigfoot like wearing a shirt and stuff like that, which is highly Wait, strange. Actually happened. Yeah, I mean, I've heard reports. Who knows if it actually happened? What size but yeah. was this shirt? Like seven extra large? It's all ripped up. You know what I mean? Like torn up. And some of these Bigfoot are smaller, not as huge. So, you know, who knows? Maybe like a, you know, six, six, six foot five tall man shirt could fit a smaller Bigfoot. <laughs> Why are we even talking about that? I'm sure Bigfoot could fit into some clothes. <laughs> <laughs> right right yeah i mean and what like wearing clothes like was that a wear bigfoot or something i don't know right? so bizarre I don't know. I mean, i've never even thought about that you know i don't know i don't know i don't know <laughs> krampus though you know i don't know we've we've not totally viewed krampus um i don't know if it's a mythological type thing or if it was based on some reality couldn't tell you hmm yeah. And then, um, you know, with my experience, like Krampus seemed like, I mean, I don't know where this thing came from. Like when you start looking into Christmas, you start seeing all kinds of weird pagan stuff coming up. Like you and I did a couple of episodes on that, you know, where we've got like, um, uh, 
you know, we're looking at Constantine, the emperor, right. uh, uh, you know, Nimrod, and then the Shroud of Turin all around that time, which were really, really interesting episodes. If you guys haven't watched any of those, because we, we hit the history and what some of what happened really back in the day pretty hard. And then I think the Shroud of Turin one was like really just like one of the most amazing shows we've done just because it's an undebunkable artifact. Uh, right. That, I mean, geez. And then the remote viewing data on that was wild. Wild. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, I don't know. I mean, how much do I, you want to talk about that? Because, I mean, other than having people watch that show, because I won't do it justice. Uh, yeah. Just by a couple words here. Uh, but yeah, the, the Shroud of Turin and the, the, the technique gone through uh, by this individual <clears throat> that created that is, is definitely not unlike what ancient yogis and Tibetans can and have done. So, That's right. Yeah. Ancient knowledge there. Yeah, that was that was wild. So if you guys haven't seen those episodes, highly recommend uh, you check that out. We're going to take a couple of more questions here from YouTube right now. Um, Okay, so Michael Meaden said, how can I learn remote viewing? I think. Oh, yeah, just um, I've got a website. Hemispheres dot institute. It's not a dot com or anything like that. It's a dot institute, hemispheres.institute. So I've got a class coming up soon here. I think uh, early February. They last about five weeks. There are other um, places across the internet that you can learn it as well. But I teach a specific style called transdimensional remote viewing that comes from uh, a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> class from a galaxy far, far away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's not a hard skill to learn um, at the outset, but you got to practice, 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 you know, mm. and build a skill. Yeah. Yeah. It's like any it's like anything, right? Like if you stop practicing, you just get worse at it. Yeah. You know, so it's a, a, exercising a muscle, really. You let it atrophy. It's it's not going to be as useful for you. OK. And then a, uh, a question piggybacking off of that one um, is E.K., uh, asked, can you explain to me the numbers used to do remote viewing? Are they random coordinates or numbers to get an idea of what you want to explore? Thank you so much. Yeah, those are random. Um, basically the way that that's part of the, we call that the tag in remote viewing. And it's, it's, it really came out of when remote viewing was being explored in the beginning during the SRI Stanford research Institute program that Ingo Swan had the idea of giving a remote viewer or a psychic a coordinate of the earth, right? Somewhere on the earth, some random coordinate, and then having them describe what's there, right? They don't know what's there. Um, Mm. So giving someone that coordinate, they would be blind to it. And that was the whole issue with psychic research in that you would have to ask a person um, what you want to know, right? But 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 that's not going to work in research um, because you want to understand if there's truly something that is actually happening here, right? If I mm-hmm. ask you, you know, what's going on at the Eiffel Tower right now? Well, you're just going to concoct a bunch of stuff, right? So right. giving coordinates, they didn't know what was behind those coordinates. Now, that morphed into, well, look, these are just for places on Earth of a location. 
we can just do our own random like eight digit number and then write down what we want the remote viewer to view, right? And only give them the number. It's like giving them a coordinate. So it just morphed into that, which actually opens up this whole broader spectrum of remote viewing questions and what you can task people on rather than just a location on a planet. Mm. Yeah. And then, and then it like, there's no way any of that human interference can come in and, right. and distract them from the data that they're, that they're getting. Right. Right. They literally, you just literally give them the number. That's it. Nothing else. And they go through their process of remote viewing. They go through a methodology and then they come up with all sorts of information. Then you take all that information and you start lining it all up to see what's congruent between them all and builds the big picture. Okay, here's another cool question from Wolfbright. Uh, is there a reason for arachnophobia? Why is sheer terror of even small spiders so common? It feels like a remnant of something in the human psyche. Did they used to be giant and prey on us? That would be one more point for Tolkien. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great I, don't know, I think comment. that's probably some like genetic memory that we've got. Most likely. It's like a lot of spiders, you know, can kill you, right? Not a lot, but there are a few that can kill you. I don't know. You know, it's like snakes. You know, I think there's the same kind of fear that runs through genetic memory where, oh. hey, if you get bit by this thing, there's a potential you could die. So I have some unfortunate news for everyone out there. Uh, there are claims of, of larger than human size spiders in Africa. And there's a lot of like, honestly, if you really start thinking about Africa, it just it's one of those rabbit holes that gets weirder and weirder. It's like, why does no one ever talk about Africa? Why is it the most underdeveloped place on the planet? There's so much of this continent that nobody even knows about what's over there. And if you start looking into it, you start finding weird things. And the tribes specifically of Africa talk about all kinds of weird stuff on that continent that people would not believe and uh human-sized spiders are one of them actually yeah and you know that i mean africa is actually quite fascinating everybody like in the western world there's a very little focus on africa right nobody really knows what's going on there in the western right. world the western media never talks about it and, and and so to me it's like that's one of the places that i really want to go explore because think about all of the interesting be it paranormal or lost civilization stuff that is throughout africa i mean i think it was tanzania or was it ethiopia i can't remember had was in a war where there was just genocide occurring i i don't know how many people were just murdered here but western media never really yeah spoke on it except for maybe a footnote and that's about it like yet it was so important and such a horrible thing that happened just fairly recently there. So nobody focuses on Africa, right? From the top down, nobody focuses on Africa, which is a curious thing to me. Why is it left out of the media exactly. you know, as far as what is going on there? Well, and, and, and some of the things that have been found allude to there being a lot more that we're not aware of. I mean, you've heard of the, uh, the nuclear reactor, the ancient right. nuclear reactor found in the Gabon Republic. Right. I mean, we're, we're talking about, I mean, if that's true, which I mean, it seems like it is, what else is there? You've got yeah. like a over 500, what is it like billions of years old nuclear reactor that 
like, you know, there's uranium over there. It's been extracted. It's been utilized. Scientists right. went over there to study it. Like a bunch of French scientists went over there to study it. And they were like, well, it must just be a natural nuclear reactor because that happens all the time. Right. Yeah. Like, exactly. it's like listening yeah. to these guys talk about the pyramids. Um, but yeah, I mean, what else is over there? And then, you know, there are other claims. Like I, I've really, I've been holding on to this for a while. It's like, I want to do some shows on Africa just because there, these tribes have so many claims of, of, of sightings of things that they have in their culture that we would not believe are still alive right. or that have ever lived. Right. I mean, look at the, the sky stone was found in Sierra Leone. The, uh, yeah. right. You know, I mean, that was, uh, a stone that was, uh, well, a so-called stone that was found. Um, well, an African tribe actually knew they had the source of the story that came from aliens and then it was collected up and then tested and it's got no substance in it that compares to earth. So there's a lot down there that is just hidden in the jungle completely. And that's just one of many, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, it's like the ocean. Uh, who, who's really like gone all over Africa and looked for any of this stuff. Like the, the only reason we found stuff on Malta, on Sicily, on Sardinia is because they're so populated. There's people over there who are discovering stuff and they can't hide it, but what's in yeah. Africa. Right. You know, or the middle of Australia, even, I mean, these are massive continents. And I mean, even, you know, even in the United States, all across the United States, like you find, uh, you go to serpent mound in Ohio, which I've been to. And it's like, that's not normal. We're talking about one of the oldest sites on planet earth that have evidence of an ancient sophisticated civilization, like super sophisticated if they made serpent mound, because each, you know, each turn or each coil of the serpent is pointing to a different, uh, like phase of the moon. Like, I think it's like, they're all pointing towards certain equinoxes or certain things. Right. And it's like, you couldn't just do that mathematically very very challenging to do right right yeah that's a it's like super super interesting stuff like can never never get to the end of it oh so there's um somebody who asked i don't know if you've ever heard about this i think i've only heard about it and i've never really looked into it too much but michael uh snadholm said uh he asked well he asked about the bosnian pyramids he said i hope you will find out what this pyramid was built for. Have you ever heard of the pyramids in Bosnia? Yeah, you know, um, um, those constructions, it's like I had a cursory look into it a long time ago. Didn't see too much in the data, so I didn't necessarily pursue it, but it's something that I need to get back on top of because, I mean, there's like so many mysteries and so little time. Um, didn't see a whole lot in the data, but I didn't dig that deep. So I need to retask on this and go back into it to see what's truly there. Uh, because I know, you know, Ken Rolla friend of mine who, uh, was going down there on a regular basis was, was, was doing some tests inside the tunnels, yeah. uh, that are in that location. And he was getting high, high energy, scalar energy and all sorts of, um, intense, intense energies in those um, so-called pyramids. I don't know if they're an artificial construction or if they are something that was sort of molded and shaped from the environment, um, or completely natural. I couldn't figure that out in the data, but thanks for reminding wow. me. I got to go back to it. 
That's weird. That's yeah. actually super weird that it could have been any one of those things and it was unclear. Well, yeah. I mean, so when you when you when you talk about a a mountain that has a pyramid type shape, which there are plenty of those out there, people right. can misrepresent those as something ancient that's been constructed. But sometimes what happens is that because it is that shape, it has a certain energy that it creates, even though it's a natural thing. And humans will still manipulate it and turn it into something that they can use. Or, I mean, I'm talking talking about like like pre ice age humans or beings, right. whoever that were here, who understood what that meant, what that is. Okay, so uh, going off that on YouTube, Oregonite asked, "How do you measure scalar energies?" The bogus. You know, scalar. I don't know. Uh, um, you need to look up Ken Ken Rolla. He's I think he's got some understanding on how to do it. Uh, but I, I myself don't. Yeah. Ken, Ken, I've met Ken a couple of times and um, yeah. it's like, it's his largest thing that he studies. It seems he's it's a like great energy. guy. He's got some yeah. really cool uh, products that he's created, invented around yeah, plasma stuff. And right. right. Yeah. Super interesting. Um, okay. So here's a question from Teresa Langloy. I don't if I pronounced that right. I hope I did. Um, Lang Lois, something like that. Rob, I wish I knew more about symbolism. Where would we get this info? Oh, um, well, there's a few episodes that we have on rise.tv that start to cover some of this that I would recommend that you watch. Uh, for instance, we've got episodes on occult symbolism, secret society symbolism, Nazi symbolism, uh, and then symbolism hidden in art. Specifically, the Saturn symbolism, the Hollywood symbolism, um, those are actually some, they kind of all hit the same things. They're all, they're kind of all merge into one another at some point. But uh, this one is very good to watch the Hollywood and secret Saturn symbolism. Um, I would say if your mind isn't blown after the Saturn episode, I'm not. That's sure a good why. one. That's a yeah. really good one. You know what? I, one I also liked is the symbology around Saturn that you guys did. Yeah, yeah, that that's it. That one was just like that's the one that's got it in there. Yeah, okay. actually, Lindsay's going to pull that stuff. one up. This one here is the one that that you're talking about, which is like, yeah, that honestly, was when, when I was writing this episode at the end of it i was like i was just sitting there in my chair and i was like what just happened like <laughs> i just didn't i like went into this subject so innocently being like i was like i remember leaning over to ben going ben let's do an episode on saturn everybody talks about saturn and then by the end of it i was like what like, yeah. <laughs> yeah totally try remote viewing it because we like we remote viewed all that stuff after your episode like what's going on with saturn and man, it was just like, yeah, I just stuck my head into a blender and I don't even know what to think now. Yeah. I would not have recommended viewing that at all. Yeah. I'm like, I can't believe you guys did that. I would have been like, dude, don't just don't do it. Like it's a cesspool of, of some like history and stuff. And um, even, I mean, what's so strange is we're talking about symbols that are representing something physical as well. And usually you don't see that. You always think of a symbol as just being, hey, this is a symbolic representation of, of something. But when all of these symbols intersect with reality, it actually starts getting kind of scary. And then you start changing your entire worldview on what symbols mean and why so many cultures throughout history have taken symbols as being so important. And why? And why have we lost that even? And it just will not, it just, it's like, 
incessantly on your mind. Like, why is this stuff like this? Like, what history have we lost? And, you know, this was one of the most bizarre things is like the thing that got my attention about Saturn to begin with is there is no other example of a hexagonal storm anywhere in our solar system, at least. Why does Saturn have a hexagonal storm? That's so specific. And it's six. And it's six, also known as hex. And a hex is like a curse you put on someone. And I was like, something very strange is going on here. Let's look into it. And then it spiraled out of control. This is the storm that's on the, the south pole of Saturn. The hexagonal storm is on the north pole of Saturn. And yeah, it's a it's a relentless rabbit hole that will never, ever end if you go down yeah. it. So just be careful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The wild. I mean, just, yeah, I don't even want to get into it. It's so messed up. It's so messed up. Like, that's one of those that, yeah, I was just glad that we did that episode. But then I was also like, let's move on to something more positive because, right. you know. OK, here's another cool one. And I'm not sure, John, if you've looked at this yet. So I'm going to ask, like, there are writings out there about George Washington having this vision, right? Now, this is from Lion, Lioness Mom, okay, who asked this question. It's very detailed and descriptive, this vision that he had. Yet, this is not something our history books, that's in our history books, which begs the question, why? So have you ever, do you know about this vision? Have you ever heard about this I've thing? I've never heard of the vision, but I it, would understand why it wouldn't be in the history books if it was something esoteric. Yeah. Honestly, it, vision. it was like a prophet. It's deep, dude. It's like, basically he saw all of this. It was almost like, imagine the book of revelations for America. And it was like, that was his vision. He was seeing okay. all of this stuff about the future of America and the challenges America would face with like the, sort of like the dragon of communism, essentially. Right, right. And um, we have a couple of episodes actually on Rise.TV about these divine inspiration and winter miracles. We go over George Washington's vision, what happened in the vision, and then what it meant. And honestly, like, there are some times when, when history tells us that a man had a vision. Constantine is a perfect example right. where everyone's telling you he had a vision and he never did. He was just like, totally into politics. Honestly, this one right here, I couldn't really find it being false. It's too historically accurate and, and like scary. It's really, that's interesting. It's scary. Yeah. 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 Maybe we'll put a, we'll put a, uh, you know, attack in that one and go back to it on some, uh, on some episode, but this was, yeah, the third eye visions. This is a really cool episode. I actually would recommend this one more than the other about George Washington's visions. It's wild. <laughs> that image with the third eye. <laughs> yeah. Uh, some of my Photoshop work back in the day, John. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> fact, I always think of a third eye when I think of George Washington. So that's just funny. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, let's see here. So, okay, yeah, here's a great one. Uh, uh, this one comes off of the Rise platform. So Marcus asked, what happened when John's team remote viewed the ancient gods in the oceans? The ancient gods in the oceans? Did you remote view that? I don't that remember. come off of a specific episode. Oh man, I got to say, it's like we have remote viewed so much stuff that sometimes it's hard for me to like go through the Rolodex in my head to find it. Mm. Um, 
um, um, um, ancient gods in the ocean. I mean, we've we've remote viewed some of the so-called gods. Some turn out to be mythological representations of things here on Earth to explain things, and some turn out to be something that was completely real. Um, who was some type of being, some type of entity? Um, more often than not, uh, a, a paraphysical to physical, so like dimensional, and can exist physically as well, or has a deeper understanding of dimensional realms. And and when we have, I don't, you know, I don't, do we remote view like what Prometheus or mm. they're like what we find with with these gods is that they're kind of all the same right like like there's 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 a lot of um overlap between them when you get to different cultures and mythology yes and and we find that they were not like all these separate beings but one and so it, it's likely that prometheus was an aspect of one of them that was real that was more real um well and for context not. I think we were discussing this or this question came up from an episode where we were looking at the Greek gods a little more carefully. The Greek gods, right. Mm. So that would yeah, be I mean, Poseidon in this case. Poseidon, yeah. Right, 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 right. Um, what's interesting with Poseidon is the the um, the spear, the mm. trident. Oh, the trident, yeah. Mm. Right. Also, when you get to Shiva, Shiva has the trident. Right, as well, yes. carries the trident, and so like cross culturally, like these are the this is the, these are the same beings. And what we often find is that when we see these beings who have the same symbology across culture and time, we find that it was a real entity at some point in time here on Earth, right? Mm. Like Shiva, like uh, Poseidon, etc. Yeah. Mm. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah, that that that's just a fascinating topic because, right. you know, we were just talking about symbology. And when you start looking into some of this stuff. Oh, you know, like it was one time I went down a rabbit hole on the caduceus, which is the yeah. the uh, rod of of Hermes. And, you know, right. I was pretty again, like I didn't know that much going into it. But by the end of it, I could see how all of these cultures were connected just from digging into this specific symbol and it, right. it just never stops. It just like keeps going and going and going, you know, it, it never stops. Yeah. No. What I find really fascinating is that like right now, like where we are here on this planet, a lot of people do not study across cultures and people yes. stay in their own little echo chamber and and when you begin to study across cultures especially when you get into mythology you find that there must have been some underneath culture from a long time ago that produced all of this because at a certain point it goes in off in all these different directions into all these different cultures who have taken something from somewhere right and these cultures have these things where historians would say, well, th there's no relationship between these cultures. There never has been. And so um, these things are an anomaly. They're the same thing that are happening across these cultures. They have the same symbology and the same gods who have the same characteristics, right? From South America to Egypt or <clears throat> wherever, 
Like they shouldn't be related. So it's like when we look at all this stuff, it usually goes down this funnel where there was a culture that things were pretty much just one thing, like one, one style, one culture, and then something happened and then people branched out into all these separate little uh, environs where they yes. did their own thing. You know? Yeah. 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 And it almost, you know, I mean, not to draw this comparison again, but it's like, was Atlantis a thing? And was it an entire world culture that everyone was experiencing? And then it got, you know, tossed into disarray after the flood and, you know, the rest is history. Right. Just, I mean, gosh, have you seen? Yeah, it's like, it is weird. I don't necessarily know how much of this is true, but like all of these buildings that they had destroyed in America that were these like amazing columned buildings that they had like train stations in and all of that stuff. And then they were just destroying them and putting up these like weird abstract buildings. And it's like, why would you ever do that? It's like a historical building. But what's weird is how in the early days did the Americans have the ability to even create those buildings that were here. And it almost seems like the idea is that these buildings were destroyed in order to hide a previous civilization that was here before the Americans actually came over and hmm. started, you know, almost like the Greeks coming upon culture that was left or the Romans coming or the Egyptians is even a better right. example coming across the pyramids in the desert and being like, Hey, let's set up shop here. There's some amazing yeah. pyramids over there. Is that, is that like the whole like Tartaria mud flood? Kind, kind of, of but I like, yeah. I try not to use that word because it's loaded <laughs> and people don't really know what I don't know. About. I mean, I, yeah. we've never looked at that, so I don't, I don't really have an opinion on it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it, but I think, I think you and I have talked about Tartaria a few times and like our take home has been, or our conversations anyway, have been how, yeah, well, that's just, we're talking about leftover ancient civilizations. Yeah. Like you call it whatever you want, Tartaria, Atlantis, whatever. We're still talking about these leftover civilizations that people are stumbling upon, you know? And, uh, you know, I mean, even take, for instance, here's a Tartaria series, by the way, you guys, if you're interested in this, we really did our due diligence on trying to track all of this stuff down. Very interesting story. I recommend watching this honestly over other series on Tartaria, just because we have a little bit of like levity and rationality when it comes to these things. And, you know, we try to distinguish between conspiracy theory and what's really going on. And um, I think you'll find some value there. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, just, I think these ancient civilizations are, it's just one of those things. I mean, we, we have all of this history of coming across these ancient civilizations or even, even, even earlier civilizations coming across those things and their development and then developing their art from it. Right. You know, it, this is not a thing. This is like a cyclical thing that's constantly happening. Like why could Plato remember or talk to people who could remember so many things about Atlantis? Like when you right. look at his account, it's like, this guy has the juice on Atlantis. Like where did that come from? You know, I mean, right. he was trying to track all of that stuff down for us. Right. So, and we can't remember as far back as Plato could because Plato was here at that time and he could see more things. He had access to more things that have been lost to history. Right. And, you know, I think a lot of this stuff is, is, is going to be disappearing from the memory of humans as well, because we're now in an age where we rely solely on the Internet of all things for information. Yeah. And and what I've seen over the years is the 
the cutting back and cutting back the trimming of different information that you used to be able to get on the internet by, you know, search engines and whatnot. And eventually the, 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 the earlier generations now are not going to be running into this stuff anymore. This stuff's just going to go away. You're not going to be able to find it. I mean, even now it's like, it's, it's, it's getting worse and worse as far as finding really good information goes. It's like, we're going to have to like go back to what Lindsay was doing and like go, go to my microfiche and libraries. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like actually like re from a research standpoint, I was thinking that was, that's a really incredible way to go because that I, there was something Lindsay was doing. And if people don't know Lindsay, she's a producer here and she's say she hi, Lindsay. Hey guys. She was doing this thing where, um, uh, she, she was interested in a story that she found in a library through microfiche that, was something about, um, I think the authorities, we had remote viewed some of, some of the authorities in a certain city in the US were involved in some kind of cult practices, occult type practices, like mayors and stuff like that. It was like at a high level. So Lindsay was actually researching this story. She didn't know that part, but we remote viewed and found that. I was trying to find on the internet this story, anything around it, which should be kind of a story because it was a big mystery but it doesn't even exist on the internet. So you have to realize that a lot of stuff that you want to know about is not going to exist on the internet. Get books, get old books, go to libraries. That's where you're going to find stuff and be able to put the pieces together way better than just looking at the internet. You know, I mean, I think that's really interesting. So, you know, I want to get into microfiche and libraries and stuff like that because it's yeah. just such a cool way to go. Well, yeah. And as metaphysical grows, I think we're going to just invest more in having access to those things so that we can find leads and right. go to these places and figure out what the heck is going on with our world, you know? And actually, that might even be a good way to kind of end the live here is this question from Mission in Studios, because we're already on the subject. The question was, hey, Rob, do you have any advice on investigative research or if anybody has advice on researching the Internet properly to actually find information that doesn't seem controlled or filtered? It's a good question. So yeah, good segue. Honestly, I think the the main thing is and John is a very good researcher, too. He's not just a remote viewer. So I want to I want to get John to answer this question, too. But I would say the first thing I want to say is leads. Leads are actually the most important thing. So even if you're reading mundane things that you know are controlled, oftentimes they will cite books to make fun of those things or to discount those things. And you can actually start going in and looking at these sources yourself. And it just takes you on the craziest rabbit holes of all time. And eventually in that research, you end up doing this. What John said is you're finding these books that, and, and this is where it gets weird is you'll, you'll find a book. Like for instance, when I was researching that Saturn stuff, I end up finding this book that is impossible to get your hands on called the Saturn myth by David Talbot. Everywhere I go, this book is $600. It's not in print anymore. You can't get the book. So I just keep digging and digging. I go on to the, the time machine, you know, uh, the, oh, the way back machine, the way back machine. 
and I start looking for it. Finally, I find a PDF and I just read the whole thing. And I was like, what just happened? Right. And now this right. guy really did his legwork, David Talbot. And a lot of his information led to all of these other rabbit holes that gave me leads on, man, all kinds of stuff that you wouldn't even believe. And then you keep now, David had, uh, you know, let's say he had 90% of the information. There is this last 10% that you're getting from all of these other leads. And then you're putting together something otherworldly that other people have not put together. Like, and I can tell you every time you start looking into this stuff, it's not a normal process. Like I, I don't know, maybe this is just my experience, right? But it's almost like there's something out there that's trying to give you clues on what to look at and what to look into. And you end up seeing something that you just can't believe. And you're sitting there, you know, in your room and you're just, your mind is blown about, and, and then you're like trying to figure out. start showing up, right? They really yeah. do. Yeah. But you know, it's human beings have this word called synchronicity, which makes it almost this scientific thing. When in fact, it's, it's not a synchronicity at all, is it? I mean, the universe is alive. These are there's something out there telling you and encouraging you to go look for something because it's a part of your path and it's a part of the journey that you're on to enlighten to the things that you're meant to enlighten to. And this is why, you know, we're always telling people to please go do this research yourself. You don't have to listen to us. You yeah. know, we're just trying to tell you guys what we found. Um, but, you know, like even I mean, even with Hawaii in general, I know this sounds like a totally I'm going off track, but I'm not really like I've been studying Hawaii for a while because it is one of these places that holds a lot of ancient civilization stuff that people are forgetting and they haven't. And I've just had just the strange every time I go to Hawaii, I have the strangest experiences, you know, like I'm sleeping and I'm I'm dreaming in Hawaiian. I'm not Hawaiian. What's up with that? I was at the Hawaiian airport and I've had the craziest deja vu of all time of knowing that I was in that airport on the big, I think it was the big Island or no, sorry, Honolulu, um, that airport there. Like I remember being in that airport, like me being in that airport. I've never been in that airport before. Right. It blew my mind because like you're talking about having an experience and you're walking into these rooms and you're like, what right, I've been right. here and you can't put your finger on it. Right. Then having this dream where I heard I don't know what it was like, I guess, Pele scream, which is supposed to be the god S of Hawaii, you know, and she was very dismayed. Whatever I heard was a very dismayed scream. How do I know it was her? I don't understand. Like this stuff kind of comes in and you this is a gross misrepresentation of Pele. Just so you know, this image, this is I think, what is this from, Lindsay? This is from Moana. Yeah, this is from Moana. Um, but what she was dismayed at was what was happening to her country and the like the deterioration of Hawaii because of these outside things that were affecting it. Um, I don't know why that happened. Like these things are just leads for you to start looking into and digging into and then finding things so that you can tell these stories yourself. And then obviously you can't just tell people some crazy experience you had. You have to find the right <laughs> the right research and then give people it on and in in put it in an understandable way. You know, what do you think, John? Yeah. I want to hear what yeah, you think. I about mean, you're, you know, if you can, if you, in your research, you start digging into the way back machine, 
um, the links and the sort of link tree that exists within the Wayback Machine of these sites that are like early 2000s, 1990s, the information is different than the information that you will find on the internet today. And I find that a huge resource, excellent resource, because it wasn't as restricted at that point. So, yeah. Yeah, the internet when it first came out was a lot cooler. I miss those, you know, 1996 sites where people were those posting GeoCities websites. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. The MIDI, the animations. That's so true. Man, sometimes I just want to create a site like that just for the nostalgic feeling, you know? know. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, this is probably all the time we have for this live. We we're actually only planning on going live for an hour, but we have so much fun talking to you guys that this went a little over. Um, but we are so that everyone knows we are going to be doing this next week again on Thursday at the same time. So if you have seen this episode in the meantime and you guys are excited about asking a question or you want to hang out with us, please come on board uh, next week. It'll be 2.30, same time, East Coast. And we're going to have a live for you guys then. And why don't you guys think about your questions, start asking them. And uh, when, yeah, we'll talk to you then. Yeah. John, thanks so much for being here. And yeah. Uh, yeah, for all of you guys at home, we hope you thought this live was as out of this world as we did. <laughs>